a Highline podcast. This is Ravel, a roundtable show about the complexity of faith in the age of information. My name's Josh. I'm Stephen. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of American Christianity, and we still keep thinking about how to take it seriously, even as we leave some beliefs behind. We think theology should be an exploratory dialogue, so our hope is that this podcast will encourage growth, both for individuals and communities. We don't have all the answers, but we're here to sort out as much as we can over a drink or two. Join us as we ravel out our faith in a complex world, pulling on one thread at a time, seeking meaning at the end of it all. Thanks for listening. Oh, hey, you guys. Welcome. Good to see you again. Hey, thanks. <laughs> hey, Josh. <laughs> what are you guys drinking this week? It is freezing cold and snowy and rainy here, so I have a huge mug of decaf British blend because I gave up caffeine for Lent, but I couldn't get rid of tea, so I found caffeine-free British blend tea. I wonder if prices of decaf skyrocket during Lent. I've never thought about that. Ooh, Maybe. And well, I know like some candy sales do go down because people give up like chocolate or things like that. So amazing what religion can do to a marketplace. Stephen, what about you? And then those sales spike again right after. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Literally the day of Easter. Like whoosh. That sounds about right. I am back on some whiskey today. I am enjoying a 14 year old Oban single scotch. Also a Highland. It's very nice. It's warming my... Is it a healthy oh, pour? Warming my belly. It's not nearly as much as the last one. <laughs> <laughs> um, I learned my lesson. Good. I, uh, I'm trying a new combo today. I bought this juice that was like mango, pineapple, pina colada-y kind of juice, and I'm mixing it with some rum. And Ooh. it tastes pretty good. It's very chilly outside today. It's not the summery vibe that this drink would be perfect for, but... It's pretty good, but I honestly can't tell because the juice is so viscous. I can't tell if all the rum is in the bottom, so uh, mm-hmm. it might Uh-oh. get a little crazy towards the end. Nice. You're you're embodying a pirate. That's, that's yeah. What it you does are. feel very piratey. A little too sweet though. <laughs> mm, yeah. Well, I don't have a good segue, but uh, the question <laughs> that I wanted to bring up today is a question that I had originally submitted to the patrons last time. I had too many to choose from, so we're kind of like circling back and finally doing it. Oh, fun. I want to talk about theological misinformation. Mm. Ooh. And okay. I feel like there's a lot of directions we can go with this. Um, but one of the things that I'm really interested in is like just applying the concept of misinformation to theology. Because like obviously there are so many theological camps out there on different issues. And like if you identify as one camp, you always think the other side is completely wrong. But like, could the concept of misinformation bring any insight to the way theology operates and spreads? Because hmm. I don't know if I really hear anybody talk about this. So I'm, I'm just really curious about what you guys think of it. Yeah. It strikes me like misinformation has a feeling to me of like accidentally getting something wrong. I think that's how I've heard it defined. Like misinformation is like, I'm sharing something that is false, but I don't necessarily know it's false. Sure. And I'm not sharing it intending for someone to be misled. I've heard people use disinformation to represent that 
side of the spectrum. Oh, interesting. Of mm. like the disinformation is intentionally misleading something or someone with false uh, info, facts, beliefs, you know. Sure. I guess beliefs. Good old Latin prefixes and suffixes. Yeah. Yeah. Like right? more like a propaganda y kind of thing. Yeah, a mm-hmm. bit. Interesting. I've definitely heard misinformation defined both of those ways, but maybe that's just a good example of like we use so many different words that seem so similar, but have like one subtle difference. Hmm. Do you feel like you hear a lot of misinformation? In theology? Yeah. Possibly. I'm not really sure. Like, I guess if we're going with that definition of like you're spreading information that you don't know is incorrect or misinformed. Actually, maybe that is the best definition because I feel like the phrase, like, I was misinformed about that thing Mm -hmm. does kind of imply a little bit of, like, accidental, like, I didn't know any better. Yeah. And I feel like that is helpful to think about in terms of theology, at least for myself. Like, I know that I have grown beyond certain views or, like, adopted new views Mm -hmm. or, like, a more nuanced take of something. And I then look back at myself and I'm like, well, I was, like, a little bit misinformed. Like, I didn't really see the full picture that I think I see now. Do you think you were misinformed or do you think you were just taught one belief over another? Like, I I feel like those can be different. Oh, how so? I feel like to grow up with one belief and then as you age, as you experience life, as you discern for yourself and you explore and you learn something new or something different or just discover something... I don't feel like you were misinformed like you. Mm. I think that's where I get kind of hairy when like we talk about like good theology or bad theology. Like I don't like using those because Uh. I don't feel like people are misinformed. I feel like that's just their belief. Mm. But I think there I think there can be things that we are misinformed about. Yeah. I yeah. Okay. I get what you're saying. I think I had a feeling akin to what you're describing, Emily, when I first learned that there was at least one alternative view of hell to Mm -hmm. eternal conscious torment, where I'm like, oh, like what people call like conditional immortality, right? Or like annihilationism Mm -hmm. or something. When I Mm -hmm. first learned of that, I'm like, that seems like you can easily read that out of the Bible. Why haven't I heard this yet? Mm -hmm. And I think the answer to why I hadn't heard it yet is because that view had been explicitly rejected by the people who were teaching me at that young age. Right. And then they were just sharing what they think was thought was right. You know, mm-hmm. you know, like I think like what here's a really bad example, but it's one that came up in my church recently. So like huh. we had on the calendar a meeting that was set on a particular date. But then we, you know, someone had said, oh, no, it turns out like the meeting's actually happening on this date. Because the chair of that committee won't be here. So, like, we were misinformed. Like, we were told one thing, not realizing that it was incorrect. Mm. But I think when it comes to belief, it's difficult to be misinformed about something because there are so many beliefs. Like, there is no, like, one concrete thing. Whereas, like, a meeting for a date, like a date for a meeting that was misscheduled or something like that, you know? When we get into belief, when we get into things of that nature, I feel like it's really hard to be like miss. Like, let's say you were taught 
oh, you know, um, in this particular church, like we believe this. And then you find out, oh, nope, just kidding. That's a different like denominations beliefs. I was misinformed like what Methodist polity or doctrine is like. I thought it was this, but I, you know, I learned it's actually something else. I feel like that can be misinformed, you know. Oh, sure. I had this uh, teacher a couple years ago, and one of his favorite things to say was every belief disinvites someone else from the party. Oh. And I think it's an interesting way to phrase it because I think it highlights what you're talking about, Stephen, that like, like when you grow up in a very specific theological corner, like where those, where that leadership very clearly defines themselves and like plants themselves in a theological camp over like one issue or many issues, I think it's really easy for people to say, well, like all those people that think differently are misinformed. I think it's harder for because they're like so firm in their belief. I think it's less easy for them to have your perspective, Emily, where you can acknowledge that other people believe something different, even though you don't believe that. Sure. Like that is such a more graceful way of saying it. I see your like hesitancy to use the like misinformation, disinformation language. But like a part of me feels like it's dishonest in some ways for people to just use the phrase misinformation. I'm kind of with you on this, Emily, I think, where like well, you just use the phrase misinformation to label something mm-hmm. and therefore it's kind of like a like end of discussion. Right. Yeah, it's really easy to take a shot at. Right. Which obviously like it is possible to be misinformed and like I think we can all <laughs> admit that. But like, I think it's the quickest way to just end the conversation and basically to shut the door on any growth on either side Mm. you know if you're going to enter into any theological conversation and if you just come right out and say well i was misinformed you're automatically putting a halt on any growth on either end of the conversation okay so how do you get past that then like if you think that somebody has a misinformed theological view because obviously like we all have our own beliefs and like Mm -hmm. therefore we believe that like a deviance from our belief is at the very least, like not complete, if not wrong or harmful. Mm-hmm. So like, how do you deal with people who, in your opinion, have a misinformed view of something? Like, for instance, I have in the back of my head, maybe this would be more disinformation according to the definition that Stephen is talking about. Like, I grew up being told that gay Christians do not exist. Mm. And I later learned they very much do. And that was like kind of a game changer for me. Like we could talk all about like definitions and like that intersection. I feel like that's like another rabbit hole. But like I grew up explicitly being taught like this thing does not exist. Nobody believes that. And then I like came to find out people do believe that. And so therefore like that mismatch, like I think created a lot of cognitive dissonance for me. And like, to be honest, I'm not sure how to deal with people who I think have a misinformed view about something. Sure. I would think for me, I would want to explore the topic itself more. You know, so like your example, being taught that there are no gay Christians and then you, you know, you find out, oh, there are gay Christians. I would bring the conversation back to why couldn't Christians be gay? Like what, you know, exploring that subsect, like you're taking the topic itself and you're really getting down into the nitty gritty of it, because if they're able to answer the question, one, good for them. You know what I mean? But if if they're not, if they could, if they're if they just come to you and they say. Huh, you know, I've just always been taught that. 
Mm. then, you know, you're kind of getting to the root of the problem. And it's we are not shaping people's theologies for themselves. Like we are just handing things down, not giving them the tools or the ways to grow and to discern for themselves. You know, we're we're asking Mm. to make disciples, but we're kind of just blindly asking people to follow not really giving them a sense of like, hey, you can follow, but you can shape it for yourself, you know? I like that. That feels very generous to me. I I just think like if I was that person who was misinformed or disinformed of something in regards to my faith or theology, I would want that generous opportunity. You know what I mean? Like I would want to Mm. have that chance to be like, huh, let's explore that. (laughs) Like, why does this unsettle me? So why was I taught this? And it's you know, that's not the case. Do you think there's a way to claim that perhaps you were misinformed in the past without making it sound like you're blaming the person who passed you that information? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I think so. Like, I think that that's very, I think that's very humbling, like to admit that like you took on a belief without like Mm -hmm. pointing finger at like the person who gave you that belief. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It feels inherent to me though. To okay, so like I was, I was just recently sp- speaking to my mother actually, who has been listening to Ravel. Shout out Dory! Oh, oh. Welcome to the show. Shout out Dory! Ah, Dory. Um, so I use a lot of phrases like I was raised in this tradition, or like I was raised to think this. And recently, when we saw each other, she was asking like, "I don't feel like I raised you that way." And I had a moment of like, mm. "Oh no!" Like. Mm. I do not, I want the last thing for you to think is that I'm laying this at your feet. Yeah. And in fact, there's, there's usually not like a single person to whom I am like speaking to when I say I was raised to think this way. It was just like, Mm, I don't know. This was just like, Like it was the soup that you lived in. community. Yeah. This was just in the air. It was like asking a fish, how's the water? You know, it's like, what, what are you talking about? So like when I say I was raised, I'm talking about like the entire church context, even the greater, like the town I was living in shapes Mm -hmm. the theology of that church that I was going to because of the other theologies available in the city and the way different people interact with each other. Mm. Actually, I think that's a very good point that like for lots of things, but especially for theology, it tends to be cultural and not just specific to one person. Yeah. So like, I guess my question is very much born out of kind of a, a personal maybe conviction is the right word for it, but I'm just like, can I start talking about these things in a way that, I mean, very specifically the problem I'm trying to solve is like, I don't want my parents listening and then thinking, Oh, we're the ones who f-ed him up so bad about hell or totally. whatever. Cause they yeah. weren't uh-huh. right. They mm-hmm. didn't. Well, oh, oh, I have so many thoughts. So <laughs> yeah, I just don't, I, I, I don't know. I'm just kind of rethinking. I'm not rethinking my membership of Ravel, but I'm just thinking of like, no, is there no. a way I can talk about this without making it sound like, well, screw you, dad. You know? No, no I think there is. Yeah. Emily, you have thoughts, you said. I have so many thoughts. What do you got? The, pas- the Go pastor it. in me is just totally in high gear right now. Oh, please. <laughs> for the, fir- <laughs> the first thing I would say is you have not said that at all. Mm. Just hearing you like and actively listening to you and knowing the person that you are, I guarantee you, you have not ever said that. B, you can't determine how people are going to react and how people are going to hear what you say. Uh, uh. And I think for you, you need to give yourself that grace and that space to say, 
hey, like that was never my intention. Like, here's what I said, you know, and to to lay the groundwork for them to say, here's, you know, here's what I was referring to. And to know that that's not a bad thing. Like you were raised in a particular way. The culture around you at that time was influencing you in that way. That wasn't bad. Like in that moment for you, like it was life-giving for you. And we need to acknowledge that as well. And so when we say things like, you know, I was raised to think this, it's easy for us to look back and say, oh, that was bad. But in that moment, if we were to go back, like what was happening was not bad because you were learning. You were in a community that was raising you up. You felt a connection to the spirit, like you felt a connection to the divine. And we can't negate that no matter how you feel about that experience now. There was something at work then. And I think it's easy for people who are along the journey with us to feel responsible for your spiritual well-being. It's easy for people who are on this mm-hmm. journey with us to take on soul responsibility, especially as a parent. Like, of course, you're going to you're going to feel that sense of guilt thinking, "Oh my gosh, I've raised this kid who thinks this now. What have I done wrong?" But I think like we need to let go of holding on to that sense of responsibility. Like we are responsible, but it's not solely on them. You know, it's on everyone else in your church. It's on you, especially, you know. Mm. Yeah, you. Yeah. That, yeah. Well, and to your point from earlier, Emily, I think that that is the value in recognizing the individuality of belief, because I think mm-hmm. that if you talk about your past experience as like. I used to be a part of this community. I used to believe this. Now I'm more like this. Like that, it really helps lessen the us versus them character of it because it's like focusing on your story. Like for instance, uh, Stephen, I I really liked your example about your mother because I personally definitely have theological conflicts with my parents. Like I don't really Mm -hmm. discuss them, (laughs) but Mm. like I know that I do. Like I know I believe differently about several different things. Right. And to be honest, maybe that's why this is like a very prevalent question for me, because I think that um, a lot of like so many people love to talk about misinformation right now, especially with like digital literacy and social media Mm -hmm. and like all of these like political happenings in our world. And Mm. like, certainly that's important. But I feel like what hits really close to home for a lot of people is the personal relationship aspect, like whether it's theological or political, like when you feel like a family member or someone close to you has been misinformed and they are like head over heels deep in the pool over that thing mm-hmm. like i think that feels really hard and yeah. to be honest i think that that's really hard to i don't even want to use the 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 word combat because i don't think it should be like a fight because like but it's very hard to deal with lovingly like when you mm-hmm. think that someone has a misinformed opinion yeah oh, or wow, like has yeah. an opinion that is harmful yeah do you do either of you know people who are like still on the QAnon bandwagon? Like personally, do you know anyone? Uh, yes. I don't personally, but I know of people. Yeah. Oh, you do, Emily? I do too. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah. That, that's what you got me thinking of just now is like, man, it's so hard. It's hard to watch, you know? But like, I think your hesitancy to use the word combat is also appropriate because it's like- I agree. That's, well, especially in the uh, the Q world, it's like- don't use the word combat because that's what they want. 
right? Yes, like you're, yes, exactly. You're playing mm-hmm. their game. So mm-hmm. how do you, how do we, with grace, like approach the conversation without immediately just triggering it into the worst of what we see on Twitter or whatever? So right? to be honest, I think that the QAnon example is such a good, mm-hmm. uh, commonly known example now that a lot of people know about. But I would argue it is only the newest iteration of a phenomenon that's been happening throughout the church for hundreds of years. Oh, amen. All right, let's hear let's hear the argument. Well, like I think my my biggest point is like people will often corner themselves in one camp and then you get so ingrained in that echo chamber that it is impossible for you to hear another opinion mm. or mm-hmm. even admit that someone else has another opinion about something. And everything that you hear to the contrary you just reinterpret through your lens. Like theology is like a, like call it a worldview or a perspective. Like it is just like all encompassing often. And it is so easy for you to like, when you hear something contrary to what you're saying, like when you are presented with evidence contrary to your belief, it's so easy for you to make a cognitive flip and the brain just like helps you make sense of it. Like for instance, so I'm thinking back to personally, like when I used to get into a lot of Facebook comment <laughs> debates <laughs> over issues that like had a theological bent to them. And I was like arguing with other Christians that had different opinions than I did. And over time, I definitely realized that that was not the best medium. But also, I realized that uh, like having a very combative spirit and just trying to like prove that they're wrong in the same way that they are trying to prove that I'm wrong, mm. it just like encouches them further in their belief. That's why I love my CPE director, Ida. She was wonderful, wonderful Jewish um, woman. She um, would change the word from confrontation to carefrontation. And I know she used that kind of playfully, (laughs) right? Like, we're not going to have a confrontation right now. We're going to have a carefrontation. Josh, I love the skepticism in your voice there. (laughs) (laughs) But that mindset has totally changed how I approach people who have such a strong belief that I feel they are misinformed on. Mm. Like I want to care about them. And so I enter into conversation with a lot of care of how I talk Mm. to them, how I see them. Am I going to listen to them through a perceived lens or am I actually going to hear this person out Mm. before engaging in any rebuttal? Are you at all concerned? Because I've heard people talk about this before and then I usually hear like, but it's complicated because I don't want it to seem like by me listening or like I don't want to accidentally make it seem like I agree with them, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you approach that? You, you make it clear that you are that you're open to possibilities, but you may not come to an agreement like you need to make that clear. You're open to hearing the other person out. And if you're open to hearing the other person out, that means that you are open to the idea that you yourself could be wrong. Yeah. Okay. And if that's the case, then you go about your life, you know, but like you need to just be clear of like, hey, we can we can talk about this. I'm more than happy to open up and to hear what you have to say. Like at the end of the day, if I don't agree with you, like that's fine. If at the end of the day, my heart has changed. Cool then, you know, whatever. But I think we just need to be confident in, no, I'll still hear you out. Like, I need need to acknowledge that space that is for you to speak. I don't know about you guys, um, but I have personally found a lot of 
help for this in like the world of scholarship by just like using certain phrasing like, well, not all scholars like hold to that view or like, <laughs> it is kind of cliche to be like, not all Christians. <laughs> but like, uh, I think it like goes a long ways to, uh, this is like, I've noticed that this is my strategy a lot of the time when I'm talking to people that I disagree with. I'm very slow to admit my disagreement because I think that it just like immediately puts people into defensive mode. Sure. But instead I like, I really like to pivot to like, well, there's a lot of different thoughts on this. Like some people believe what you're saying and like there are people who don't believe that. And I think mm -hmm. like helping people admit or see that there are different perspectives on it. Mm. I feel like that's step one, right? I also feel like though that helps people to see that like their opinion is not the only opinion, yes. but also that they're not alone in that opinion because I feel like it can be very mm. easy to be in a room and you feel like you are the only person in that room that has that particular belief oh, when sure. really I'm sure there are other people. And so there's almost like the sense of like being like not alone camaraderie, mm. you know, mm. Josh, I feel like you were extremely good at what you are describing. I mean, you're very good at it unravel. Oh, thanks, man. Yes, you are. I would be hard pressed if someone asked me to quickly say what even you and I disagree on just because you're very good <laughs> at couching our disagreements in like broader topics of opinions but also I don't know you just disagree very well well enough that sometimes I'm left just kind of in a squishy territory of like I'm not sure what he thinks ooh, but <laughs> ooh, when you, when Steven uses the word squishy you know that honestly I, I mean I think thank you I appreciate that but I also think that some people get really annoyed by that I'm sure. But you were, you're like, so. Just tell me what you believe. Yeah. But you were so good at that, at like mediating the conversation at Beer Philosophy here oh, yeah. in Billings. Mm. Like that was a skill you clearly developed, you know? Like it helps that you're a nine. Yeah, sure. You're a nine. Sure. You do some of it naturally. But I think you, you have skills that go beyond just the natural born talent of being the peacemaker, you know? Aww. I feel like you guys need a hug right now. Like, that's so sweet. Well, thanks, man. Honestly, like, I think that it has been like the, the, um, what's the, the P word? Not parallax. Pendulum. I feel like it has been the pendulum swing away from me being the most combative, like, I need 100% certainty, like, mm. it's my way or the highway kind of thinking. Uh, because I would like often find myself, myself in uh, high school and, early adulthood just like being super hyper focused on having those kinds of conversations and what i did notice over time is like it just makes people more defensive yeah mm. yeah weren't we all like that when we were in apologetics 101 probably <laughs> right yes of course yeah yeah but oh my gosh emily i think your point is spot on i am very much in a kick of like i don't know i feel like i've heard it spoken of as like a school of psychology but very much thinking of people as child psyches in adult bodies mm -hmm. and i i think mo the most compelling stories that i connect with right now are stories that kind of highlight the fact that like a 50 year old man can sometimes just be flooded with the fear of a seven-year-old boy you know and mm -hmm. like the fear of isolation, the fear of being alone, the fear of being like singled out, you know, like this is why like 
being naked in public is a classic nightmare for Americans. Yeah. Like that fear of not belonging, I think is so huge when it comes to, I I mean, disagreements in general, right? It just feels vulnerable to be like in conflict with someone else, you Mm -hmm. know, and that's why, that's why that's a huge area of focus for marriages, right? Partnerships and all that. But beyond just disagreement, I think that it's easy to bring it back to misinformation. I think it's easy to be told like, oh, well, you've just been misinformed. And what you hear is, Mm. oh, well, you're dumb or like Mm -hmm. you completely missed the point or something like that. And I think it's really easy to get defensive out of a place of fear, almost childlike fear of being like, Uh wait, I thought we were good. And now you're saying I've been duped by misinformation. Mm -hmm. That's it's just a scary place for anyone to be in because we're all children in adult bodies. We have this pressure of wanting to be liked as well. And so that can have a huge influence on our beliefs because we want to fit in. We want to be welcomed. We want to be seen as equals. So like you're going to you're going to follow along with the crowd, you know, and then when you realize, oh, wait, Mm. like I don't actually believe this. Well, what if they don't like me? You know, you Mm. you're you are putting yourself up to be basically stoned. You know, do you do you continue to stay in this crowd? Like, do you try to just see past this misinformation or do you steer it in a new direction and say, nope, like this is wrong. I need to discern for myself what is right, like what's true for me. And then that means you are going to lose people along the way. Mm. Would you allow me to say that I think that's what you, Emily, represent to me, especially like in the high school age? Oh, like coming to public high school from being homeschooled, you and Gage, our fellow percussionist in the uh, in the band freshman year, you and Gage were the first kids outside of the youth group I already knew that made me feel like I belonged at the high school. Oh, but you were a Methodist and I was like, (laughs) I know. (laughs) (laughs) I can't socialize with the enemy. (laughs) (laughs) and clearly i have come to a place where i was like oh yeah i didn't have all the information i didn't know that anyone could be christian if they weren't just like non-denominational baptists yeah um (laughs) you know because at the time it felt far more important that the all the theological boxes were checked in order for us to Mm. like truly form community sure whereas now that's like so far off my list but yeah. But isn't it, isn't it, well, first of all, thank you. That's so sweet. Isn't it amazing though? Like just even just hearing that, how when you're in an environment, one, where peer pressure is already at large, right? Massive. And Massive. you're now enter, you're now entering into a, a setting where you have friends from that particular community, like your church, your youth group, but now you're intermingling with people who are not from that context. But how crucial and important it was that like you still wanted to maintain that sense of belonging and friendship that like you didn't cave in like you still held on to your belief and like I remember a few conversations where you and I would engage and you'd be like oh Emily you're kind of crazy like you don't really know what you're talking about because you're a Methodist (laughs) man I pray that those conversations were like freshman sophomore year and not junior senior oh for sure oh for sure yeah this is like freshman steven and emily um yeah but like to still say like 
hey, Emily, like you're misinformed in your opinion, like Steve, in your opinion, I'm misinformed of me. Yeah. Um, but you still saw me as a whole person, you know, like you didn't lose sight of like, yeah, Emily's misinformed, but she's still a cool cat. Like well, I can still hang with sure. her. Yeah. We at least have drumming in common and being excited yeah. about going to basketball games. And we're nerds. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I think, so I've, I've never famously, I've never been on a mission trip, even though I have many opinions about a mi- mission trips. We know this. And if you haven't heard that episode yet, Go back. Be sure to find it. Go back. It's there. Oh, yeah. That was a good one. The Mission Behind the Missions. Is that the title? Honestly, guys, we're recording episode 80. I forget half the things we've talked about so far. It's a blur. It'll be in the show notes. But so famously, I have opinions on mission trips that I've never been on. But I did. I mean, I think I've always also talked about this the way I basically considered going to public school as kind of a mission of its own. So while I didn't have the experience of being like a Christian who goes to, you know, Latin America. And I discover, like, I'm going to a predominantly Catholic neighborhood to try and preach the gospel of my little non-denominational Baptist theologies. I think meeting you, Emily, and meeting, I mean, quite a few people, it's like, it's hard to not at least bump into cultural Christianity around America. So for me, I eventually did have that moment of like, okay, I feel like I'm on mission going to public school or whatever, but I'm like, what am I actually mm-hmm. doing? Because it seems like there are so many people here that don't need me to do this. Hmm. Hmm. We just want to say how honored we are that you listen to Ravel. Seriously, there's a lot of great shows out there, and we're grateful to be in your feed. Thank you for helping us on our journey to normalize people asking questions about theology. If you want to support what we're doing, the best way to help is to tell a friend about us. We want to be a resource for people on their faith journeys, whether they're deconstructing, reconstructing, switching churches, deconverting, and everything in between. And if you're able, you can support us for as little as $3 a month on our Patreon. Supporting us helps us cover fees, software, equipment, future ideas, and more. For all of you church finance skeptics out there like me, don't worry, we're keeping an open book for transparency. For our supporters, we've built an online space where we can be together. We know it can be difficult to ask questions about our faith, so we want to make that more accessible, comfortable, and normal. We're using an app called Discord, where you'll get private access. You already know us, and we'd love to get to know you. Thank you to everyone who's already supporting, and thank you to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music, In Full Color. Ravel is a founding podcast of the Heinlein Media Network. And here's a word from one of our sister shows, No Normal People. Hello, friends. This is Stephen and Dixie Lee with No Normal People. We are hard at work on season three of the podcast that will be coming out April of 2022. And we would like to extend a formal invitation to you. Do you like rocks? Or beans or planes. Yeah, I like beans. We People like those things. <laughs> and you might also like those things. And we would love to talk about it with you. If you like those things or have other or passions other and things. interests that you want to talk about. It and doesn't you, have to exclusively be those things. We would love to feature you <laughs> on No Normal People. And you can sign up to be on the show by emailing us at nopeoplepod at gmail.com. That's K-N-O-W peoplepod. Or sign up 
on our show page at www.highline.network. And bonus points if you actually do want to talk about beans. I love beans. I like coffee beans. That's a good bean. Uh, So here at Ravel, uh, it's pretty well known at this point that Stephen and I are a little coffee snobbish at least. Like, Stephen, how many brew methods do you own at home? Oh, golly. I think it's probably four or five. uh, French press, aero press, pour over. I have like this nifty camping pour over rig. Um, I do use a Keurig when times are tight. That's fine. Um, But right now they're not because I am drinking some delicious Highline blend coffee. Delicious. I need to get in on this action. I go to coffee shops all the time. I would love to be able to make coffee at home. So Revel Coffee, huh? They're Montana local, right? International award-winning roaster? Revel, nice. Absolutely they are. And they will ship a fresh roasted bag directly to your door when you order through the Highline shop at highline.network slash shop. I think that that is what's really interesting about thinking about like theological misinformation or disinformation or just like um like changing your mind psychology is that like evangelicals especially like it's literally in the name are super focused on changing people's minds yeah mm. and that that's like a that is a driving force for your faith that like defines your faith the quality of your faith etc like it's it is intrinsically tied to the idea of you having faith because if not you, then who? Yes, exactly, exactly. Um, I do think the same is true of like some other Christian and Christian tangential groups, but I think what's really interesting is that like Christians are infamously not good at it. <laughs> like, <laughs> or they're too good at it. Like, it's like the prosperity mm. preacher that's like guiding people with emotions and not logic. Mm. Yeah. And I think mm. that those two like stereotypes are really interesting. That's really funny. That caught me off guard. We're not very good at it. <laughs> Do you know what I'm trying to say, though? Like, yes. Yeah. So what's interesting is I, I immediately thought about, oh, gosh, who's the guy? He wrote the book, How to Change Your Mind. Are you talking about um, Michael Pollan? I think so. Yeah, that sounds about right. About the mushrooms? Oh. Nope. No, I don't think that's what I'm talking about. No. You're talking it about was, David Gushy. There, yeah. David Gushy or... <laughs> There was someone in connection with like Sam Harris and that whole ilk of like, oh, anyway, I'm just thinking of the phrase, like how to change your mind. Like the book is about how to change your mind, not others' minds. Like there's the apologetics thing of like, I just need to defend my position and eventually like debate someone into believing the way I do, which never works. Um, No, it does not. (laughs) We know this. This is a stereotype to complain about. And even apologists way... are like, yeah, like honest about that. Right. So why are we doing mm-hmm. it? But if you have the intellectual humility to approach a even a, a book entitled How to Change Your Mind or like even I mean, that's what I feel like the entire like deconstruction ravel project represents to so many people of our generation is like we're doing this ourselves. We're not being swayed by someone else anyway yeah that's my rant i'm just thinking about how isn't it so much more fruitful to admit and seek methods or at least an understanding of how our minds change like our personal like focus on yourself before you focus on others 
unlike changing their yeah, mind. Yeah, take, take the log out of your own eye. Thank you. It's hey. like Jesus said something like that before. Great point. No, I think that's a really good point. I liked your point about intellectual humility because I do think that that is really key for these kinds of conversations. Like, honestly, I think that that's what makes for a good exploratory, curious conversation is you feeling like your perspective might not be 100% or you might have something to learn from the person sitting next to you. And that we'll both leave mm. the conversation with a measure of respect toward each other and not just thinking mm-hmm. that we're just dumb you and know. honestly, I think that modeling that for other people is a really good strategy. Like if you do think that the other person could be a little bit more informed, if you model that intellectual humility on your own, that just like opens the door for them to do it too. Enter every podcast I've made ever. <laughs> <laughs> no, but honestly, that's like, that's, that's why I love podcasting is thinking out loud. I do a lot of my best thinking out loud even if it doesn't appear to be that fruitful for a lot of people. I, I'm curious, like I'd, I'd want to like re-listen to old Ravels and see how I've like connected the dots to like newer conclusions I've been coming to. Mm. Ooh, that'd be fun. But like over time and not just like recency bias, but over time, like, Oh, I was saying that in episode five. Oh, I said that in episode 22 and mm-hmm. oh, yeah. you know, that would be very interesting to me. That'd be a fun project. Yeah. But that is, I mean, that's everything that Ravel represents to me. That's how I approached recording with the Whiskey Bench for an entire year. Yeah. That's what No Normal People is all about, is giving quote unquote normal people a platform to talk about what they're into. Okay. It's funny that you like went down this way because one of my sub questions on this that I wasn't sure if we were going to get to is how Protestant is it (laughs) to think of normal people in normal places? (laughs) Uh, like is that yeah (laughs) like is that just like is is that just like super protestant for you to like because like one of the i'm just broadcasting the 95 theses yeah i'm sorry i'm not like trying to critique you but like no i get it um it's in my bones man protestantism is in my bones amen well okay you know like the classic like well you're not a christian if you don't go to church Sure. Like, oh, I feel yeah. like in some ways you might be more Protestant than the Protestants if you like go off on your own. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I don't know if there's a, a direct connection to like changing your mind and like theological misinformation other than I think the only reason I had made that connection before was like, I think in the US there's like a, I mean, this does happen all over the world, not just the US, but I think that there are unique pockets of theological cultures and those theological cultures often act like or just don't acknowledge other theological cultures. Mm-hmm. And it's really easy to like be hyper-focused on your own soup that you grew up in. Well, yeah, kind of put the blinders on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like even to talk about my church going to Mexico to a Catholic neighborhood to preach the gospel, right? Or like go to, I mean, back in the day, not right now, obviously, but go to Russia and preach to a bunch of Eastern Orthodox Christians. It's Mm, like, mm -hmm. you just assume they're not Christian because they're not your Christian. They got to bring them Jesus. Yeah. The right Jesus. (laughs) Because their Jesus is wrong. They need to be informed of the right Jesus. Now. Which clearly is your Jesus. I mean, clearly. Obviously. (laughs) That being said, do you feel it necessary 
or do you like have you at one point thought it necessary to say like okay mormons we agree jesus was special but we disagree on some pretty key things let me talk Mm. about my jesus or jehovah's witnesses is another example i think probably a more extreme example but it's like how Mm -hmm. far does that go i guess yeah Ooh. like in terms of finding common ground yeah, I mean, yeah, my, my two examples were Catholic and Eastern Orthodox, which now, in my mind, they used to represent even more extreme diversions than even Methodism was in my head for oh, a while. Yeah. But now I'm like, what are we even talking about? Like, it's so wild to me that some Protestant Christians would say Catholics are going to hell. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because I've, I've come to that opinion. But like other religions who claim Jesus in a way but divert in some pretty key areas. Yeah. I don't know. Is there a line to be drawn drawn somewhere, you know? Because Jesus is recognized by Muslims as a, a mm-hmm. prophet, at least. Are they misinformed about Jesus? I don't know. Yeah, that is interesting. Actually, this it's funny that we went down this hole because one of my questions that I thought I was going to tune into a whole episode, but maybe not, I wrote down the question, like, does believing in a conceptually different view of Jesus mean that you are not the same religion mm. or like under the same tree. Because I will admit there's like as weird as I feel about church a lot of the time, there is a part of me that like wants to explore Christianity more. Like I've never been to an Orthodox service or like, I think that the, like the richness of other cultures experiencing Christianity is beautiful and unique. And like, I think it's, yeah. it's fascinating on a sociological level, but I'm not interested in doing the same thing for Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons. Yeah, right. Mm. Like, I think maybe it's just because it was ingrained in me that, like, they're not Christians. But, like, I do think that there is a part of me that's like, well, uh, they're not really the same thing. Like, on a sociological level, like, they're they're not us. Or they're not, they don't believe in the same Jesus or something. Yeah, exactly. And maybe that is true. I don't, I'm not. So are those groups merely misinformed about Jesus? And do we have a responsibility to correct them? Big Mm. big question. What do you think, Emily? I'm cringing over here. Straighten this out. That's not a that's not a bad thing. The first thing that came to my mind is like, this is so bad of me to say, but who am I to correct (laughs) someone on their belief? Mm, Right. Like, yeah, I don't like it when people correct me on what I believe. So why would I do that to someone else? But I also think it's really hard for me, if I'm going to engage in conversation with someone else who is not a Christian or someone that I perceive to be not a Christian, I need to be open to the idea that Jesus is still a part of their life. And like, why can't that be enough? You know what I mean? Like, maybe that's bad on me to say. And I'm sure some of my people that attend my church that are listening to this are probably thinking, oh my gosh, our pastor sucks at being an evangelical, Um, which... (laughs) is totally fine with me um (laughs) but like but like if jesus if god whatever like if that is still a part of them like who am i to dictate how jesus is supposed to be in their life you know i remember like growing up a wonderful book imaginary jesus by matt michelados like that book totally transformed how i perceive jesus in my own life let alone how other people perceive Jesus. 
I need to be open to the idea that like God is at work in their life, however God sees fit. And it's not up to me to decide how they should see Jesus, how they should see God, how they should live out their faith, because it's their faith. It's their life. It's their experiences. It's their struggles. It's their joys. It's their triumphs. It's their sorrows. Like I cannot dictate how someone is supposed to be when it's not my walk. It's their walk. And I think that's what I love the most about my job is like I get to share a glimpse of my travels and my journeys in my faith. And I'm inviting other people to join that. But I'm also allowing myself to be a part of other people's journeys as well. I really like the way you put that. Well, thank you. Yeah, I like that because what I, it reminds me that like in the same way that it's difficult for us to separate our ideas and our beliefs from our personhood. Like when someone attacks our ideas, it's so easy for us to like take it personally. I think it's hard mm-hmm. to do it the other way around. I think it's hard for us to separate someone's beliefs from their personhood. Wow. And like recognize that like they're not the same. Mm-hmm. I, I really like the way you put that, Emily. Mm. What about people, because I, this is also kind of struck close to home, and I think there's a full episode coming on this later in the future. I haven't processed <laughs> it fully yet, but what about people who you feel... Like you've just observed their own ravel journey, their own deconstruction journey, and they just go, they just like find them, they they find the door and let themselves out of Christianity completely, whether that be agnostic, atheist, or or anything else for that matter. But uh, I, because I've had that kind of strike close to home recently, mm. talking with some people who who I love very dearly and who trust me clearly enough to like talk about it and feel safe. And of course they're safe with me. Like, uh, of course. Like in terms of uh, like they fully feel deconverted. Yeah. And, gotcha. and now I'm I, like, I, I've been struggling with feelings and I've been journaling a lot recently about like, what is the urge in me and what are the roots of the feelings I have for like, I just want to take them out to coffee and be like, I think different people taught you wrong about Jesus. And I would love to tell you about the right one that I find so Mm. much life in, you know, like that is really challenging for me, like in the last few weeks. What I would say is first, like if you are wanting to do that and I kind of preached on it, not like this particular topic, but like today in my sermon, I talked about um, the power of prayer, you know, and things like that. And Like when we engage in interacting with someone, we usually say, hi, how are you? Which means we're inviting the person to speak first before we engage in the conversation. And I think with prayer, like we do the same thing. So I think in this topic, like you, you so desperately want to talk to this person and show them like the Jesus that you know and love. And you want to try to understand the Jesus that they were brought up on. But I think to give that space to say, hey, I want to know more about your deconstruction journey. Like, I want to know what it was that took you away. Like, what was it that you found yourself crumbling away from that you now no longer believe this? Because I think when we understand the person's journey, Mm. we'll understand their sense of what it was that they wanted to leave behind. And that will totally make the conversation more fruitful because I think if we just perceive it as okay this is an opportunity for me to bring them Jesus rather than hearing them out like we can see maybe Jesus is still at work but not in the ways that we 
assume mm. or the ways that we anticipate. So hearing fully, hearing the other person out will totally set the stage then for how you respond and how you interact in further conversation. I like that. That's a very hospitable view. I'm just full of hospita- like hospitality today. Yeah. <laughs> it's, Stephen, it's funny that you mentioned that because I think that I struggle more with wanting to evangelize to other Christians that they might not have the full picture. <laughs> More so, because I feel like even in high school, like, uh, so there was this one time that I went to this, like, revivalist, like, weekend retreat kind of thing, and he, like, sent us out to, like, go evangelize in the marketplace. Like, we, it was, like, a full system. Like, there was mm. a tract, there was a DVD, and you, you, like, counted how many people you converted. Wow, yeah. And, like, I think even at the time, I, like, and I was like, yeah, let's do this. Like, let's go out. Like, let's be, let's be the hands and feet. Like, I was already realizing, like, how terrible of a marketing strategy that was to, like, go out to people who probably aren't interested versus, like, hmm. if someone's, like, already kind of into it, it's so much easier to, like, get them an extra 5% over the edge. Yeah. And I think that that's what, like, makes it really hard for me <laughs> to not, like, <laughs> like, uh, almost in an apologetic kind of way, like, argue that Jesus is actually saying not what they're believing. Like, oh, this view of Jesus that you have, I think you're getting it conceptually wrong. Or like, I don't think that Jesus is on that side of whatever it is. Mm. Like, Jesus also said mm. this, or like, the Bible also says this. Mm. Like, I think playing with the, the, playing devil's advocate with the Bible is like, kind of fun and cheeky. And honestly, it's hard for me not to do that. <laughs> yeah, you have to resist, like, there's a proof text for everything, right? Yeah. And it's, it's, it can be fun. <laughs> I mean, like, I feel like you and I throw around our, our fair share of quips that usually make Emily cringe, Yeah, you know? <laughs> but, like, at the end of the day, like, to Emily's point, like, if they're not interested in, like, also having the intellectual humility to, like, yeah, learn from me, like, it's probably not going to go anywhere. Yeah. And I guess, yeah. Emily, to, to speak to your part, I feel like, it clearly... I'd like to imagine that that's going to be my first instinct when the opportunity for the actual conversation arises. Sure. I feel like right now I'm in a moment of just like, it's a, it's almost like I'm listening to myself. I'm just like trying to journal through it and like talk through it and just like, mm-hmm. I'm trying to figure out why I feel so weird about it. I think you're grieving in a way. Hmm. Oh, maybe that's a good word for it. I hadn't given that word yet. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, that's, I think it's appropriate. Just kind of process. Cause I mean, like I even have feelings of like, you know, I, for the majority of my life had always associated atheism with like, well, they're going to hell and that's sad. Mm-hmm. And now like intellectually, I don't think I have that belief anymore. I would try to argue that that is a belief that I have like deep in my heart enough to the point that I believe that about myself. But now it's like my body is like, yeah, but we should be stressed out for him until we figure out how to get him back on the team, you know? So, oh, yeah, actually, like to wrap it around a little bit, I think that that is what is interesting about applying the concept of misinformation and or disinformation to theology, because I think what does rile me up is when I feel like someone is spreading a view that I think is very misinformed and they're not just like saying it personally, but they're saying it like objectively like i think that that's what riled me up so much about that street preacher that i went out and took a megaphone to right to talk to like uh if you haven't heard that story i just talked about it on the veterans of culture wars podcast 
Uh, but like th- that riled me up and I am not a very angry person, <laughs> but like it was the, like it was the step from individual belief to general objectivity. Right. That like, Oh yeah. Really gets my goat. I've ranted about Sean Foyt enough times on this podcast. That's exactly where yes, I am. You have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I get that feeling. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a hard one. I do think it does do a lot of, I think it can be very beneficial to like ask people where they got their ideas from. Mm. And sometimes people like don't, uh, sometimes that isn't as fruitful as I would hope, but like, I think that, so, okay. Like for instance, I have some friends that do not think that this kind of exploratory dialogue is good theology. Mm. Uh, I don't know if Mm -hmm. you guys do too, but like, okay, I, I, they definitely come from the perspective of like, like theology is very cut and dry. Like there is, Mm. there's nothing else to explore. Like we know it, we know it's true. But like, what's funny is that like, (laughs) they didn't discover that for themselves. Like they were taught that. Like, Mm. where'd you get that idea? Who told you that? (laughs) Yeah. And I think that like trying to be like, I think modeling like self-reflection of like, I learned this idea here or I, thought this way first and then I was exposed wow. to some people who thought differently and it kind of challenged me. Yeah. I think that that helps model like people personally reflecting, oh yeah, where did I learn that? Did I come up with that? Yeah. You just reminded me, you used a very key phrase. Who told you? Who told you you were naked? Who told you you'd be mm. like God? You know, like I'm, I'm just thinking Genesis 2 now, right? Genesis 2 yeah. 3. The original misinformation was the Deceitful serpent. Hey. 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 Well, like, I think, I do think that this kind of like exploratory theologizing does get that critique too. Like, no, yeah. they're just asking, like, who told you that? Yeah. Yeah. And that's the devil. So I don't know. I see what you're saying, but like, that goes both ways. <laughs> Josh. <laughs> yeah. Did God yeah. really say you would surely die? Did God really say that hell exists? Mm-hmm. Maybe that's just mm-hmm. the devil talking. Maybe. Oops. Maybe. Well, if that's the case, then isn't the devil talking to all of us? Because none of us can agree, like entirely. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, if that's, you know, and if we believe that, then that's not life giving. Well, but that's what that's what people talk about, like the father of lies, right? Yeah. I'm just remembering that I used to have a very specific belief that, like, God was omnipresent. But the devil wasn't. And I used to be really stressed about the like physical coordinates that Satan was on in the earth. That's funny. Wow. I used to be really stressed about that. That's really funny. That is funny. The, uh, the garden connection is interesting because like uh, you remind me of the text of Jesus saying like the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say the thief comes to ask questions and get you to change your mind yeah it doesn't (laughs) i gotta go back and read that which actually no okay actually this is a really good point (laughs) i'm patting myself on the back here because jesus asks a lot of questions and does a lot of like reframing of like you've heard it said but now i say to you oh yeah jesus answers a question with another question yeah (laughs) yeah that's the tradition if anything that's the way of jesus like if we are to live like Jesus, we should answer a question with our own question. <laughs> and like, if you're going to be a literalist about it, uh, Genesis didn't say that snake was the devil. That is very true. So, 
That's a long shot. (laughs) (sighs) (sighs) (laughs) And also, what are you scared of if our father in heaven will not allow us to be plucked from his hand? Right. Like if you actually believe you have the objective truth, asking questions Mm -hmm. about it will only reveal it. Exactly. To be more true. If it is the truth. Yeah. Yes. There's nothing to be afraid of. Like throwing a fire pan into a fire. That's the wrong analogy. I'm not sure what I'm trying to say there, but that's what I'm trying to say. Sure. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we see what you're, you're doing. You're kind of going yeah. for a refining fire type metaphor. Yes, that's, yes, that's like, the word. Yeah. It'll burn away the chaff, right? Or whatever. Yeah. 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 All right. But to be fair to your friends, they didn't just do that. They are no. deciding to discard the whole thing. And I do agree that that is like fundamentally different on the cognitive level. Yeah, right. I bet they feel, I'd be curious, um, I bet they feel like, and I bet a lot of deconverted people feel like they were misinformed. Yeah. Oh, I've seen a meme, I'll text it to you guys, actually, we could probably like put it in the show notes or on the Instagram or something when this episode goes out, but like I've seen a meme of like what it feels like to leave Christianity and it's like a bunch of people walking with umbrellas and the rain is just over the umbrellas that are up. And then one person takes their umbrella down and it's like sunny sky above them. Oof. Mm. And that is a fascinating metaphor. It sounds like a naked yeah, pastor meme. Uh, I don't think it was naked pastor specifically, but yeah, it's in oh. that strain. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's a good question. Oof-da. I think that would be a probably the most fruitful place to start a conversation. It's just like, what does it feel like now? You know, mm. yeah, because I've never experienced yeah, be, that. Like, enter yourself in that space with them. You know, is it scary? Is it liberating? Do you feel free? I mean, like, Alex Falcongrove has been on Ravel, Emily, when you were on maternity leave, called that episode "Shrugging Off Christianity." That feeling of just like, I don't have to carry this backpack. The best, and I remember he was so he was so nervous to fill in for me. And fearful of what I was going to say. And I was like, oh my gosh, no. That was hands down like. So thoughtful. Filled my heart. He did so well. Filled my heart. Yeah. It was so great. And I think that's a perspective that certainly the three of us, the three of us are lacking because we're all on different spectrums of Christian-ish right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, just have, having someone who has gone through it and say like, yeah, I, I pulled the umbrella. I'm done. I stepped out mm-hmm. from out from under the umbrella and I realized that. The, nothing was raining on me actually someone once told me the grass is greener on the other side you know it's always like greener always mm-hmm. i would be really interested to see some research comparing the for lack of a better word the moving on from religion completely hmm. compared to the moving on from political conspiratorial thinking like QAnon, like oh. where you like fully like wow. remove yourself from an ideological movement I would love to see like a, a sociological comparison of those two phenomenons. Yeah. Yeah. And how they compare, whether they're similar. Because maybe, th- maybe there's like some very striking differences that don't make them as similar as I'm thinking they might be. But yeah, I think that'd be fascinating. Thanks for thinking about this with me, you guys. I think it's really interesting. It is very fascinating. Any closing thoughts? Any uh, re-correction of the misinformation that was on this? <laughs> Uh, two thoughts, mostly unrelated. The first one is like, I guess this whole episode, I've also been thinking about something else Emily said during her sermon today, because I actually went to church by going online. Oh yeah, that's I was, right. I forgot you did. Yeah. 
There's a bunch of pictures of you in the Discord now because I was. <laughs> I was. Were you a weirdo and you captured pictures? I was bragging you up in the Discord. Um, <laughs> Emily, I keep thinking about the point you made about like you pray for healing of a loved one and they still die, but maybe the healing wasn't meant for you, or maybe the healing did happen and we just didn't see it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's more related to the the misinformation conversation or just like this idea of like others deconverting around you or mm. something like that. But I, I've been thinking about that a lot ever since you said it this morning. I'm so glad I could plant that earworm in yeah, you. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, the second one is if you want to talk more misinformation and hear my thoughts about Joe Rogan and misinformation. I did do a recent episode of the Whiskey Bench where we dove into it for a good hour or so. That was a good, that was a good oh, episode. Yeah. Actually, that is what inspired this topic for me. Just so you know. Oh, spectacular! I'm so glad. Spectacular. Yeah. No, those are my final thoughts. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I think I'm gonna. My final thought is gonna be: I love the way that Dan Koch on "You Have Permission" the podcast. I I love the way that he phrases it at the beginning. It's something along the lines of like, a lot of us feel misinformed by well-intentioned people. And I think that that is good to remember that like, mm-hmm. like even if we feel like we were handed an incorrect or incomplete view totally. at some point, going back to your example, Stephen, I think a lot of people like just like had good intentions and sometimes that's really complicated. Good intentions <laughs> pave the road to hell. Hey. Just remember wow. Emily, do you have a, a word for us to end? You know, in my example of a meeting being scheduled for one day and it was actually the incorrect date. I'm reminded of the whole idea of minutes in a meeting. You know, you you approve the minutes and if there was any corrections or any things that you need to change, like speak up and and share that and to feel comfortable knowing like we make mistakes. Like we are always seeking information or always trying to get the best information. And sometimes we are just misinformed and sometimes we have a misunderstanding, but we need to continue the conversations and we need to continue to enter into those confrontations with care. <laughs> there you go, Josh. Carefrontation. <laughs> Carefrontation. And welcome to No Normal People. This is a show where we prove that the more you get to know the normal people in your life, you discover that there really are no normal people in your life. You know how there's like famous people in the world that are known very well and how they go on podcasts? Yeah. Well, we don't do that. Marketable names and yeah, audience. Buzzwords, and, buzz yeah, names. Social following. Yeah. And, John yeah. Buzz. And, well, we interview people like your Uncle Terry, who collects model trains. Because he's normal. We'll even interview you, even if you don't have the cool trains that your uncle has. You can email us at nopeoplepod at gmail.com or visit our show page on www.highline.network to sign up to be on the show. And remember, the only normal people you know are the ones you don't know very well. Highline Media Network.
Artist-owned podcasts by normal people in normal places.